Have you ever jumped into cold water? If your answer is no, do not worry. Most people will probably answer the same. But if you answer yes, then I'm pretty sure you might have heard some of the following. You're completely crazy. Why do you do it? I started jumping into cold water two years ago during winter, but it was just recently when this practice took a completely different meaning to me, when I realized that I like to do it not only because of the physical aspect, but because it is actually the way I think. It's a mindset. Then I figured that many people that have never physically jumped into cold water also had it, and it was just exciting. This is why I decided to do this podcast, to learn from people and their inspiring jumping into cold water experiences. Hope you're ready to breathe, jump, and repeat. This is Into Cold Water. Into Cold Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Into Cold Water podcast. I am your host, Rodrigo Aviles, and I am so excited, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, about our guest of today's episode, because his last project literally blew up my mind. It was insane. Let me tell you what happened. He is the very first person to do a triathlon around the world which at the end of the day turned out to be something like 120 Ironmans distance-wise. Just, just for you to have an idea what I'm talking about, just try to picture swimming around 456 kilometers unattended, 5,040 kilometers running across a country, and by a country I mean Mexico, so literally he run from the north border of Mexico all the way to the south border. Last but not least, around 21,600 kilometers cycling through the warm and cozy Russian winter. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give a really warm welcome to Jonas Dijkman. Jonas, welcome to Into Cold Water. Hello, a, a big pleasure, and uh, I like your description of of Russia because um, it was very cozy uh, out there in the in the winter. And I remember Jonas a picture you posted on Instagram with your face completely frozen in this really cozy Russian winter. That was just unbelievable. Yes, uh, it wasn't always a, a big pleasure in Russia, but I mean the hard moments are also part of um, part of the adventure. Another best memories. I really enjoyed it, uh, including including Russia, even though um, you get slapped into the face basically every day in, in, in Russian winter. And I think if, if your face was completely frozen, perhaps that slap in the face, you, you didn't even feel it. <laughs> so that was good then, the positive side of it. Um, just to make sure, Jonas, did I mention the right distances? Uh, that's correct, yes. I, I swam 460 kilometers, I cycled um, a bit more than 21,000 and I won uh, 120 marathons, so a bit more than 5,000 kilometers. And in total, it's a distance of pretty much exactly 120 times Ironman. Amazing. This is just amazing, Jonas. Congratulations and thank you so much because that was great inspiration, I would say. 
for me definitely was i was looking at your pictures i was looking at your videos following you closely i was so inspired by what you did so thank you so much thank you (laughs) no thank you it was great and i want to mention one uh, fun fact i will call it that way you know that i come from mexico and particularly my hometown is cancun which was your final destination when you were running so i remember the first pose perhaps I saw from you was you were wearing this uh, blue jersey when you were running and this and then this really iconic red hat from one of my favorite characters from the movies actually from my my most favorite movie of all times and what I want to ask you is what was the nickname that that you got in Mexico Jonas um, El Fomes Camp Aleman. It's uh, incredible. I think it yeah. came from, from TV Azteca that, okay. that gave me that name and then everyone everyone jumped on. On the spot. Really on the spot with that nickname. And the hat, by the way, did you have it from before or where did you get it from? I bought it on Amazon, actually, the, the Baba Gump Shrimp Company hat. Okay. It's, it was my favorite film when I was I was a child. And uh, I always know if I, I run across the country one day, I will do it with a Baba Gump um, hat and, uh, and a long beard. Wow. That's cool, Jonas. That's really, really cool experience. And our favorite movie then. That's even better, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is amazing and uh, just incredible. And how that developed in Mexico is uh, also i mean my original plan was to run across the us and um, okay. unfortunately i couldn't get in and uh, mexico was the, the best adventure ever i can totally imagine that and and let me take it from there because i'm really curious to ask you about this adventure so what were those adventures besides of course the running part itself but what were those adventures that you experienced some fun memories some thing that you lived uh, through your journey in Mexico that you could share with us? Well, it's I love it all about Mexico. The, the, the food, the, the landscape, the people, the culture, but but the best is really the, the people who are just mm-hmm. so crazy yeah. and uh, in, a, in a positive way. Uh, it's full of surprises. And uh, when I started running in Tijuana at the border, I was, I was alone. Nobody knew me in Mexico. And I, I ran across the desert basically uh, most of the time alone. And then uh, when I got into Sinaloa in Durango, there was a, a dog joining uh, La Coqueta, which uh, was a <laughs> dog living in the street. Okay. And she, for, jam- for some reason, uh, wanted to, to run with me. And she joined for, for 130 kilometers. Wow. And uh, a very strong dog. And uh, of course, I, c- I couldn't keep her. I mean, running through Mexico City, it's just crazy with a dog, with the traffic and everything. So I announced in, in TV <coughs> that I'm... I'm looking for someone who adopts her and uh, she got adopted and as oh, is Mexico, nice. um, it was a big reception. The mayor was there. He gave her a medal <laughs> and some kind of honorary membership in the community. And and the next day she was uh, Mexico's most famous dog. And uh, from that day on, I was also famous as El Forest Gambaleman and uh, never was alone again. That's a great story. So then La Coqueta was the front runner and the one who initiated that everybody was following you. I remember a lot of videos you posted of, of a bunch of people running next to you and even policemen. I remember those. 
Um, yes, it got pretty crazy. I mean, first um, the people joined, um, first 10, then hundreds, then sometimes more than a thousand people waiting in, in the villages for me. Wow. And the police, the polit politicians, of course, they also got interested. And so there was always a police escort and a big reception in the villages. And it was first uh, one police car and then... Sometimes there were 10 cars um, around and, um, and, uh, and armored, uh, like heavy military stuff, like a, um, a kind of an armored um, car. And I had, when I ran across Leon, I counted um, uh, nine police pickups, uh, one guy with a machine gun on the top oh, wow. and uh, 11 police motorbikes that blocked the, the traffic and the, and the crossings and the traffic lights that I can, I can run free on the, on the main highway across a, a city of more than a million people. So that was a reception <laughs> that in, in Europe, I mean, even our president uh, may not have this kind of reception. Exactly. And I'm super happy that, um, you had this really warm welcome and reception and the people, this is how we Mexicans are, I have to say. We love to do this. So I'm really happy that you could experience that. And what else happened in Mexico? Because I'm pretty sure you have some other nice stories, Jonas. Um, of course, also, especially non-expecting uh, parts, they all happened in Mexico. I remember when I was running in, in Baja California on one of my very first days, and it was a very empty, uh, lonely road in the desert, uh, not far from the U.S. border. Uh -huh. So uh, a, a place where, I mean, if, at least if you if you believe the, the Hollywood movies could be a bit dangerous. <laughs> and um, um, a small uh, truck um, passed and uh, five guys jumped out. Oh, wow. And uh, I already thought, okay, this is maybe not yeah. that good. Uh, yeah situation but then they they started to play music so it was a mariachi <laughs> band that followed me on instagram and they wanted to sing a little motivational no, song for me nice and uh, this is just incredible and a month later another encounter i i will never forget in my life is when the the local truck cart had, um, stopped in the sierra madre mountains and uh, they came on a, on a motorbike, uh, two guys with guns in their hands. And no. um, they they stopped me and said, hey, Jonas, we were already waiting for you. So uh, it doesn't sound too good. But then they told me, like, you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about anything here. We, uh, no. we will protect you. We follow you on Instagram. And now we want to have a <laughs> selfie with you. That's the best story I've heard in a while. <laughs> That's just, I don't know. I mean, the, the cartel guys, they also like sports and they had yeah. no interest in me. So um, to be honest, I was under their protection. And for um, sure, I do not agree with their, their business practices. Yeah. But um, personally, I didn't get into their way and they didn't get into mine. And um, that's that's a really memorable story for sure. Wow. I, I I don't know. I I can I can only think that I would be super nervous if I would have been running and then in the middle of somewhere in Mexico and then the cartel comes to me even for a selfie. You know, wow, great story, Jonas. Thanks for sharing. Um, going back briefly to our Forrest Gump topic, I remember there is a part in the movie where um, a reporter. So when Forrest Gump is running. Then then this reporter comes to him and say, hey, why are you doing this? What are you drawing across the country and what's the purpose? So what's your purpose? Why do you do it, Jonas? 
Um, to be honest, the answer isn't that that different from uh, from real forest uh, because I I do it for the adventure. I do it for the for the experience. So I simply love the journey. And I do also have a course that's that's true. I also uh, run for for children in Africa, and I I worked with an NGO that provides uh, bicycles to to children in Africa so they can go to school. We collected around. Uh, in total, about thirty thousand dollars for for charity. Um, but apart from that, on my on my personal level, um, it's not about the record um, and the numbers. It's it's really about this this adventure to be to be out there and and explore and and push my boundaries. This is actually something that I really like, and I saw it on one of your posts, Jonas, in which you were talking exactly about this, that you were not looking to, let's say, break some sort of speed record or something. You were just looking to reach your goal. And this really had an impact on me because whenever I go to run these days, it's something that I do keep in mind. I'm happy to happy to hear that. And it's for me. I mean, it's not a sprint. The individual days, uh, as long as I make my distance, I don't mm -hmm. care how how fast I am. The important thing is to uh, to make the full distance. Yeah, completely with you. The important thing is to reach the goal. Yeah. And what about the preparation, Jonas? Um, and the reason I'm asking is also I have a fresh in my memory this video of you in this cold chamber somewhere preparing yourself. I assume for the uh, cozy and warm Russian winter. So, what was it all about? Um, yes, I mean at that point I already know that I would go to to a Russian winter on the bike, and uh, so before I set off, I I actually went to the the cold chamber of the German train company. Um, it's a place where like a lab, a lab where they test their trains on on extreme conditions, and okay. I could go in there on my on my bike on my home trainer and uh, spent a few hours at minus 24 degrees celsius and wow. they also had like a, a wind machine and a, and an ice machine and everything so they simulated a proper siberian uh, winter storm and mm -hmm. um yeah i could enjoy this and and prepare for the uh, the real life um, conditions in siberia how much time did it take you Jonas, to prepare yourself for this or so so where does uh, everything started uh, the idea for this project I got during my last uh, world record before that when I, I cycled from, from northern Norway to Cape Towns of Africa. And I remember exactly the moment I was cycling across uh, the Sahara Desert in, in Sudan when I got this idea of um, doing a, a triathlon around the world because I wanted to do an, a new discipline to to get a bit out of my comfort zone and mm -hmm. and try something else than, than just cycling. And I always had the dream of going around the world. And as no one had ever done a triathlon around the world, that's uh, a hell of a reason to be to do it and uh, to be the first one. Yeah. And Jonas, besides the fact that nobody had done it before, that you will be the first one doing it, did you have a, any role model, anyone that inspires you, that or, or that did inspire you to do this? Uh, no, to be honest, not. I when I was a child, I my biggest. Um, who I was looking for, looking up to, was always my my grandfather, who was a, a snake hunter in in Africa, cool. and that was always um, like a life I I I really was looking looking up to because mm -hmm. it was a poor adventure and and following the dream. 
but um nowadays it's basically following my own path and um planning adventures that that i really want to do and that ideally haven't been done before this what you're saying about following your own path and even creating your own path and doing adventures or something that nobody has ever done before that's really cool Jonas uh, and especially because for some reason I have in my head people saying everything has already been done you know and what you did basically it's a proof that that is not true and I love it and I also really like Jonas when I was looking at your website is how you describe yourself as a full-time adventurer. And that's uh, that's also my job. I mean, um, I live from adventures and um, doing the adventures and marketing them them afterwards, that's, that is my job. Now that we're talking about this, Jonas, uh, I remember about this book that I recently finished, which is called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, in which he basically talks about this, how... In, in his case, right, he was looking for a way to get out of his comfort zone. And perhaps also I, I, I know a lot of stories about people that say, okay, I don't want to keep doing my nine to five regular job forever because I'm already bored. I want something different. I want a new challenge and so on and so forth. So my question to you is, did that happen to you? And if so, was that the trigger for you to become a full-time adventurer? Uh, to be honest, I already know um, that I don't uh, want to have the normal life, a normal job um, during university. Okay. When I finished university, I, I went to, to work in uh, consulting and sales in, in Germany mm -hmm. um, after university for two years, but already with this in mind to, to do it, to save some money and get some experience and afterwards do my own thing and be, be self-employed. That was always my dream. So I did not have this moment where I, where I, I woke up and said um, I had enough. I, I didn't have this moment. I... I always know I, I had enough, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was already there, implanted in yes. your mind. You were just waiting for the right time, isn't it? Um, I already know, actually, when the right time would be. I, I had set myself a, a target. Uh, you do this for two years and uh, you save a bit of money, you get the experience, and then you, you found your, your own company. Uh, in the end, it went a bit better than planned. I mean, um, I got this opportunity to do the, the world record and uh, the first one. And afterwards, I got some sponsors and uh, speeches. And then I went all in on this. But if I wouldn't have had this opportunity, I, I would have gone for another one. But uh, for me, it was always clear I, I go my own path. Let's switch gears for a second over here, Jonas, because I want to ask you, what was different from this project compared to the other ones? In, I mean, I do this already for, for a few years. And um, what was different in, in this project is that I did disciplines I have never done before. I mean, people always said, uh, you're a cyclist and uh, so this, you, have, you have done this all your life. And um, I wasn't a runner and um, I was a decent runner, but not a pro. And in terms of okay. swimming, I had I had no idea. I I, I never really swam in my life, and now I, I did the longest ever unsupported swim. With, uh, wait, wait a second, Jonas. Here, 
what do you mean you you were not a swimmer and then you swam 456 kilometers unsupported and that's the that's the point i want to make i i wasn't a swimmer before i never did swim training i never did any swimming competition i never uh -huh. swam for training or anything i was just a, in terms of swimming i was a completely regular guy who who of course yeah. can swim <laughs> I, I, I i would survive in the in the sea but i i wasn't a, a pro swimmer i was far from that and uh, now i'm i swam 460 kilometers because in the end um, it is all about your mindset. It is about your belief that you can you can do it. The, the positive attitude and and goal setting that you have small targets and everything. That's what it is all about. And um, now I com completed the longest um, ever um, unsupported swim. And this is something that gives me for the future also a lot of um, optimism and positive energy because I I know in the end. It's the mindset that that is this is a, a good technique and some muscles they do help but when it gets long and hard it's it's all about your motivation and when did you start developing this mindset Jonas because from what I can hear it's like a superman of a mindset what you're describing over here it's a, a long process that um, for sure already starts in I did sports all my life, so I'm, I was always doing competitions and uh, going my own way. And I I lived during university uh, in like 10 different countries and, and traveled around, uh, So which also helps because you are kind of thrown into cold water. First time I lived in Brazil, I didn't even speak the language and I, I, I just moved there. Um, that for sure helps um, the development. And um, since then, with every project I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting stronger because... If you have completed a, a difficult challenge, um, it makes you stronger because your your mind uh, will remember when it's it's tough again. Hey, I did this before. It's actually not that not that hard. Yeah, and perhaps a, a simple analogy. It's like when you learn how to ride a bike. So the first time you're gonna fall plenty of times for sure, but then as long as you keep doing it more and more, then you're going to get used to it or your mind is going to get used to it. So then the effort is going to reduce and you're going to be able to do it even better the next time. Exactly. And I mean, uh, difficult adventures, they will, of course, always keep a challenge, but you can learn how to how to deal with misery and discomfort and uncertainty. You, you can learn it. And talking about challenges, Jonas, from the three disciplines, what was the most challenging one? The most difficult for me was, um, in terms of the swimming, definitely the the mindset because swimming is just very boring. There's uh, nothing happening. You don't you don't see anything. You just see water and uh, some plastic plastic garbage, unfortunately. But that's that's it. There is not much to see on the, the cycling and running. You can always distract yourself. You can listen to music. You can look at the landscape. There will be people to talk about to talk with. Uh, swimming there's nothing of this it's just you in the water for hours so it's mentally very very challenging because it's so boring and on the on the cycling leg of course the the, the biggest challenge was um, russian winter conditions which is uh, as you correctly said in the beginning um, not a very pleasant place to be and uh, especially not on the bike so that was something also super super difficult 
And of course, the pandemic. I mean, um, I had to deal with with closed borders in particular. I never was in a country with a lockdown. So in that sense, the pandemic uh, wasn't a big problem, but I had to cross, cross borders and uh, change my plans a few mm. times, especially in, in Asia when, when all the land borders were simply closed. Yeah, this damn COVID virus just changing plans one after the other. Yes, I mean, I changed my plan a few times. Originally, I, I wanted to cycle across... Uh, from Turkey to Iran and uh, Pakistan, India, Southeast Asia. And then I wanted to run across the US. And um, I ended up cycling across uh, Russia in winter and uh, running across Mexico in summer. So, yeah, timing could have been better, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's part of but, it. But here I will have to say, Jonas, I'm really happy that you didn't run in the US and you ended up running in Mexico. So, and then it was. <laughs> Yes, it was fantastic. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, bad luck um, can uh, can turn out in something something good. Um, I mean, I'm sure the US set would have been fantastic too, but Mexico was the best adventure ever, and um, I'm I'm very happy the US didn't let me in. I am very happy too, Jonas. <laughs> so, um, actually, now that we're back in Mexico, I want to ask you, what was your favorite food? Uh, definitely chili and nogada. Oh, cool! Which is um, the food from from Puebla. Yeah. It's it's just incredible. I yeah. I loved it. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I love it all in Mexico. Even the, like the the taco, tacos and enchiladas. I also I tried some some strange things from your from your countrymen. Yeah, I I mean the the food culture in Mexico is huge and the variety is just insane. Yes, especially in the in the south, in in Oaxaca and, and Chiapas, they made me eat um, different kind of worms. Mm -hmm. And um, um, the, the question, chapulines, grasshoppers. Yes, they are actually quite quite okay. I think um, the, uh -huh. the worms are, are a bit more exotic. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I escaped um, el caldo de rata, um, the dead soup. What? I've I've never heard of that before, Jonas. They eat this in in parts of Chiapas, um, okay. and it's 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 a soup uh, with an entire rat uh, on the top, like still with the with hands and uh, oh, and, wow. uh, um, and the tail and everything. Ooh. It just swims on the top. <laughs> this is the first time in my life, Jonas, that I hear about this dish. I've never heard of it before. Well, I hope you get an opportunity to, to try it out one day. Exactly. That will be a challenge. That will be definitely getting myself out of my comfort zone for sure. <laughs> so let's see what happens about that. No, but uh, yeah, so our, our, our Mexican cuisine, it's part of our culture. It's huge. It's delicious. It I, is. It is. I, I love it. Me too. And Jonas, going back to the challenges, because I'm really curious to hear from you what else happened during this uh, cycling section of your journey especially uh, in russia it was really surreal i would say the the videos you were showing on your instagram yeah russia was incredibly challenging with the, the weather conditions i had a few snowstorms snow and uh, like really cold temperatures but uh, the biggest problems to be honest weren't the really cold days When it's minus 15, when it's minus 20 degrees, um, it's a pretty dry cold. So with proper gear, you can manage. But um, when I got into spring, the temperatures are around, uh, maybe around zero during the day. Everything is melting, everything is wet, and then minus 15 at night in the, in the tent. So that is like much, much worse. This is like really horrible conditions. 
And uh, not only for me, but also for the for the bike and the equipment. I had uh, pretty often frozen chain and and gears and everything. I had broken um, button brackets, um, which usually doesn't happen that often. And um, yeah, it was a heavy test uh, on me and my gear. And and what what did you do in those cases? So uh, did you did you do you speak Russian by the way, so that you could ask for help along the way? Uh, no, I don't speak Russian, and nobody speaks English. This is really one of the of the only countries in the world where I mean I speak a few languages. This is one of the only countries where I really have problems to communicate because no one speaks any language I speak. Um, and anyway, they wouldn't be able to help. So um, it's it's me who has to to fix the problems. So it was literally you and you only. Exactly. That's pretty much it yes wow and this was similar to the swimming experience or the similar part of the journey isn't it Jonas that you were not supported by any boat providing you food providing you something to hydrate it was again you and the ocean you know I, I was completely on my own I did have a little raft that I was um, pulling um, with a rope around my waist behind me and i had all my gear in there so i i was doing um, also the swimming like completely unsupported and uh, this is the biggest challenge i mean otherwise um, the swimming would have been much easier but um, i also have to to deal with the logistics and food and where do i sleep and everything there is there's no team around so you literally jump to the water one take swimming directly to where was it uh, to Provnik. So I, I swam the entire or almost the entire Croatian coast. Okay. So I swam into the, I jumped into the water and I swam and 54 days later I was there. And were you resting in between in your raft or how, how did you do it? No, no, it was, it was very small. The raft was, there was a sleeping bag and some food inside. And um, I swam in the evenings, I swam to the shore. And I, I slept on the beach or on some rocks. And the next day I went into the water at the same point. Wow. And for, for food, I, I swam into the, into the harbors and uh, walked to the next supermarket with my wetsuit and my, my raft <laughs> under my arm. I sometimes had like little drops of water behind me in the supermarket. So that was, uh, gave some quite, quite funny reactions. And uh, like that, I managed. Yeah, I can imagine people not being very happy about getting wet while waiting for their food, isn't it? <laughs> now, but a joke aside, um, I remember once uh, another episode I did with Mariel Jauli, a Mexican, an amazing open water swimmer. And we were talking about something similar in which I said that I would be really scared if I would be swimming in the open water, particularly at night, and then not being able to see what's under me. I, I don't know how, how you handle that. I mean, knowing that a big fish, a.k.a. a shark or something or a jellyfish or whatnot could be swimming right next to you. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, jellyfish was a, a pretty a big issue. I got stung quite a lot. That's also one of the reasons why I, I grow my beard um, mm. as jellyfish protection. Smart, smart move. And um, otherwise, big, big fishes, I, I saw some dolphins at some point, but um, oh, wow. never any sharks or anything. I know, of course, they are there, but they don't, they don't uh, do anything in, in the Mediterranean. And um, I know this feeling, what you describe, um, I did not have it um, when I was swimming close to the shore, 
But I had a few big crossings where I swam like seven, eight kilometers out to an island or a peninsula and open sea. And this is always a little bit um, an uncomfortable feeling, especially when you get into the dark. Then it's like just horrible, to be honest. And how do you manage that, Jonas? You stay positive and uh, just believe 100% that you can do it. And then you focus on getting back on shore. You focus on getting it done. <laughs> exactly. There's there's no no room for yeah. doubt in those situations. You really have to to figure out that you can do this before you get into the situation. You just mentioned a keyword, Jonas, and I was about to ask you this. Did you ever, along the 120 Ironman distance journey, did you ever doubt about yourself that you could do this, that you could pull this off? Never for a single second. I always believed 100% that I will be, be successful. Okay. And the, the reason is, is pretty simple. I, I never failed trying it. So why should I fail this time? Wow, this is, this is really big and, and I like it, Jonas. Thank you for, for saying this. Because it's definitely not easy at all to think this way. And it's really uncommon, I will dare to say. And I'm just wondering if, for example, doubt or is, is even... Actually, the question is, is this even a word in your vocabulary? It's, it's not part of the vocabulary. It's simply uh, using uh, words that, that express it. I never use words in my thinking like I could or possibly or, or maybe. There's uh -huh. no, no place for maybes. And very important also is to, to, get, to have small goals, um, especially if the, if the finish line is very far away. I mean, I felt after the first marathons, I felt absolutely horrible because I, I, I haven't run for, for like seven months. So, so I, my legs were in so much pain. And if you had that situation, you think, Jonas, you ran two marathons now, you feel horrible, another 118 are waiting for you, then that's pretty bad, to be honest. So, but I never thought like this. I always thought like um, about today. Uh, Cancun, that was my, my vision. But in a day-to-day -day business, I thought about the next few K. I thought like, uh, if you run another 10K, then there is a, there's a restaurant and there you get some tacos and then you are happy again. And uh, like this, I, I run from taco to taco and, and around 300 <laughs> tacos later, I was in Cancun. Uh, this is the best quote I ever heard, running from taco to taco. <laughs> Love it. And what was your favorite taco, Jonas? Uh, good question. Pastor, perhaps? Uh, Pastor is, is pretty good. Uh, Pastor is pretty, pretty good, yes. And um, I also like, like the carne... Um, carne asada. Asada, yes. Yeah, really good choices. I'm also with you, especially on El, El Pastor, my favorite yeah, tacos. And so that all of our listeners can understand what we're talking about here, Jonas. So the uh, tacos al pastor, basically... It looks similar to the, you know, when you go to a kebab place, you know, this huge, uh, how, does, how do you call it, this bowl of meat. It looks quite similar. And it's made of pork. And it's delicious. And I'm already hungry again. But let's go back to our topic. <laughs> Because I want to ask you now, Jonas, you were, you were saying before that there was a time when you thought about, okay, I only run two marathons. But now I have 180 more to go. I can imagine that your body was 
sword already. You were, as you said, perhaps not completely prepared for this. So my question now is, would you say this was the moment when this challenge became much more a mental challenge rather than a physical one? Um, definitely. I mean, the, the body, a good body, of course, helps. And um, especially for running where you have a lot of impact um, on your on your legs and on your, your ankle and your knee and everything, you do need good physics, of course. But um, in the end, the longer the, the trip goes and the harder it gets, the, the more it is about, about your mindset. It's simply um, the most important thing is, 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 is one question. Um, I have to wake up every morning and I have to tell myself, yeah, today I want to run a marathon, whatever the conditions are. And if you feel like this, then, then you will make it eventually. Jonas, I have to ask you, how do you train your mind? I do a, I do a lot of adventures and um, I never give up. So with every um, adventure you do, um, uh, you get stronger. So it's a long process. But I, most importantly, um, if I have a target, I, I reach it. I, I don't give up. And that's kind of if you, in, in smaller adventures, or in, in smaller things, if you set yourself a target and you don't reach it, then um, it's the end always, you can always tell yourself, okay, this was uh, impossible, this was, uh, I had bad luck or whatever. But um, in most cases, it's an, it's an excuse because you could have continued. And if you, if you use the excuse once, you will use it again. That's how simple it is. Yeah. It's, it's literally a bad habit. Exactly. Careful. Yeah. Careful. You use it once and it's going to stick to you like your shadow. Even worse, um, I mean, a lot of people, they, they fail at something and then to, to get happy again, they will um, eat some chocolate or they will do something nice. And then you are actually even rewarding you, yourself for failing. And that's a, a really bad habit then. And um, in some conscious, subconscious, you, consciously it's, it gets stronger. So um, what I do is um, I simply complete my tasks and there is no excuse. And um, every time you get you get it done, it makes you stronger. And did it ever happen to you, Jonas, that let's say on your first shot, you didn't achieve your goal, that somehow you, yeah, didn't didn't make it? Perhaps in one of your past uh, projects, for example. In the last few years, I never failed at any project. And uh, I remember clearly there was an, an ultra cycling race I was doing in, in Laos in Southeast Asia. And it was like a thousand four hundred K to the mountains in Laos. And I was in, I think, in second position, position uh, with good chances to, to win the race when uh, my button bracket failed. And I was around, I think, 450 kilometers from the finish line. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, I would have had a perfect excuse. My, my bike is broken and there is no bike shop in Laos. Uh, so I could have just uh, given up and no one would ever have said anything about it. But uh, instead, I I put my, my bicycle on my back and I won. And wow. um, I finished last in the race. Um, I think like one hour before the cutoff time. Uh, but I finished. Uh, it took me like four days of, of running in the end. 
And um, I finished be finished because it makes me stronger in the end. And uh, I had the target of finishing the race, and then I finish with, with my bike ideally. And if that doesn't work, then I walk. This is Jonas. I'll describe it as a shot of inspiration, pure inspiration, honestly. And it only makes me think about this common saying of the competition is against yourself and yourself only. Exactly. It's not, I don't do races against, uh, against other people. A lot of, of um, the people are always focused on putting themselves into competition against uh, someone else. Um, for me, that that's not the case. I, I, I race myself and I just want to get out the, the very best I have. Yeah. No, I like what you're saying, Jonas. And um, just shifting a little bit over here from the mindset part of it now to the physical aspect of it. I know that when you came back to Germany after finishing your project, your body got tested. So what was it all about? Um, yes, that's always the case that, that when I finish my project, mm -hmm. um, then my body gets into some kind of recovery mode. And um, it's I, I'm doing at the moment a, a test with a, for a study from the from the university in Berlin about how the recovery of my body and and mind works. Okay, and could you share some of the early findings of this uh, studies? Um, well, I I only had have done the first phase of it. Um, and it's about um, looking how the values will look in two or three months and how uh -huh. it changes. What I can say so far is, uh, for example, my heart, my resting heartbeat um, is uh, 38 uh, beats per minute. Wow. <laughs> uh, which is as low that um, I actually was, a, I think, three, three years I was in the emergency um, at the hospital. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, it was just for because it was night and uh, for um, the rules where that I have to get un under under the, um, the the equipment. So they had to to put me on the equipment. And um, like all few minutes, um, there was an alarm going on because my heartbeat was so low. And then the the nurse came running and, and was like super worried if I'm already dying. And I was just smiling and uh, I'm fine. Uh, so that's how, how low my heartbeat is. But um, it's it's actually normal for it is low, but it is uh, normal for, for ultra endurance athletes. You know what, Jonas, you just made me think about a documentary I watched uh, recently on Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks. And it's about this uh, Nepali mountaineer, um, which basically he climbed the 14 tallest mountains in the world, one after the other. Have you watched it? Um, I haven't watched it, but but quite a few people told me about it. So I, I know what it is about. And um, yeah, it's super interesting. I will yeah. definitely watch it when I, I get a bit of time. Yeah, do watch it. I think you're going to like it. And talking about movies, uh, I know that you have a, a movie coming up soon and also your book, correct? Exactly. My, um, uh, my book, um, The Limit is Just Me, is uh, out in, in German now. It's uh, of the best, on the bestseller list and it comes out in English and Spanish in, in April. And um, then there's also a film called uh, Vale la Pena um, coming out in, in April into the cinemas. I'm so looking forward for both uh, Jonas. And first of all, congratulations on your movie and your book. 
And uh, just quickly for all of our not uh, English speaker listeners, vale la pena means in Spanish it's worth it. Exactly. Uh, it's worth it because in the end it was a lot of hardship and everything, uh-huh. but uh, it's worth it. Nice. And why did you choose a, a, a name in Spanish for it? Uh, we were thinking a lot of time with my production company about um, the name and um, Mexico simply was the, the best of this trip. It, it was the highlight yeah. and it, it was what made this this journey. There were a lot of special things about this journey. No, no one had done it before. But the things that happened in Mexico were, were simply the, the craziest <laughs> and um, the most exciting part ever. So for that reason, we, we picked the Spanish name. That's really nice. And I'm pretty sure all of our Mexican listeners, which, by the way, is one of the biggest communities we have uh, here in Into Cold Water podcast, they're going to be pretty happy about knowing the, that they created such a big impression on you. So, yeah, and, and Mexico also changed my life in a lot of things. Um, yeah. Not, I mean, also in Germany now, the story I got national news, I believe, because of Mexico. But um, in Mexico, I'm now much more well known than than anywhere else in the world, which is super strange. But in Mexico, I have more followers than than in Germany now, and um, I've been everywhere in the, in the media. So for now, uh, Mexico is. I have a lot of friends over there, so I will I will be back actually in next month in Mexico. And oh, that's nice. Where to? Um, I go to to Puebla and then to Baja California. Is it holidays or uh, just to get some inspiration for your next project? Um, it's a mixture of holidays, visiting friends, and also a little expedition that I'm doing at Baja California. So it's it's kind of vacation, um, but uh, in the long term, of course, I'm also. Um, the book is coming out in Mexico and film and I'm planning some speeches in Mexico because now uh, Mexico has become also an important market for me, of course. And you know what? Uh, just a quick funny anecdote. Uh, when the first time I get to know about you, Jonas, was because a friend of mine from Mexico, he sent me a picture of you saying, hey, Rodrigo, you have to try to talk to this guy. So... You have a lot of fans in Mexico, Jonas. Yeah, no, I know. Mexico is like really uh, in my heart now and I, I just love it. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm pretty sure all of our Mexican listeners will be so happy as well. Jonas, I have a question for you. Let's, let's try to uh, go back to the future using another one of my favorite movies. And... Think about what would you say to the Jonas that was about to start the project? What would you tell him today? I would tell him that you you don't have to be afraid, that there is a lot of uncertainty ahead, and that you don't know what's, uh, where you will be in a, in a few months uh, how your job will look, um, how your life will look, and and anything, but but uh, don't be afraid because um, the journey is is super exciting, and um, if you if you believe in it and you you give your, your very best, then something good will come. Like it. The hardest thing is always to to get to the starting line. The hardest thing is to really have the courage to to move from an idea to actually really committing to it. 
that's a really great message for the Jonas from the past. And now looking into the future, what would be the mental tools you would recommend all of our listeners to use and to keep in mind, Jonas? Well, there are a lot of things um, that that you can do. I will I will focus on on three things. First of of all, um, what I said at the at the moment, though, don't don't be afraid. Um, the hardest thing is to get to the starting line. So what I want to say with this is, if you really have a dream, then just do it. Don't over plan. Don't wait forever because life will simply get into your way. Um, if you want to do something, do it. And that sounds so easy, but it's not. And this is the, the biggest advice I have to anyone. And uh, number two, um, if you have a very challenging project, something where you don't know the outcome, that's for me in my uh, in my sports, of course, and I don't know how the weather conditions is are in Siberian winter or how the currents will be in the Adriatic Sea tomorrow. But it's exactly the same in in so many other situations. If you have a, if you found your own company, uh, you don't know if the clients will come and everything, but you need to be optimistic. If you have a goal, you really have to believe you can do it. Otherwise, there's no point in even trying it uh, because when it gets tough and you have an excuse, then you will eventually fail. So uh, for me, that's the number one criteria, actually, when, when someone tells me about his project, uh, what kind of words uh, he uses. If there are those people who, who will say, yeah, I hope I can... I can manage this project in in a hundred days, or um, if I'm lucky, uh, this will be successful. Something in that directions, and there are those who say, "Yes, of course I can do it. Uh, of course I will. Next month I will be in Cancun, and, and that's and that's it. There's no no room for doubt, and um, this is super important. It also actually influences people. If you have an, an interview with someone, or you're looking for a new job, or you want to sell a product. And um, and you tell the, the other person, uh, well, you think this is this is good or something like that, but you what you show is is doubt. And personally, I don't work with people who have doubt for challenging projects. Um, and the third point is you need to see the finish line, uh, meaning that um, if the project is long and complicated. And um, there will always be um, un unexpected challenges. Uh, you need to see the finish line. So you need to break it down into, into small goals, uh, which means I, 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 in, my, in my mind, I didn't run to Cancun. I, I ran to the tacos. <laughs> I'm a huge, huge fan of the running for the tacos, Jonas. It's a, it's, it's a really, really good quote. Um, and I, I also really like what you what you were talking about and how you summarize this into three main buckets or main topics. I mean, don't be afraid, be optimistic, uh, believe that you can do it, visualize the goal, see the finish line. I think that's key because the way that our mind works is whenever you believe in something, you, you could definitely make it happen. Honestly, I don't believe this this thing that the universe conspires that you, so that you can... No, no, no. I mean, it's you have to believe that you are the only one capable of doing this. I'm not saying by yourself. I've always said it so many times and I would say it again. 
these big projects and these big achievements are done by a group of people. I mean, you perhaps put the seed, but then it's it's a team effort. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say here is that, first of all, it is you that have to believe I'm going to be capable of running from Tijuana to Cancun. I see the finish line, as you said, Jonas, the finish line for me it's the nice beach in Cancun with a table full of tacos. That's my finish line and I'm going to do it. Your mind has to believe it. You have to believe it. And thank you so much for sharing this because I, I definitely think this is going to be a memorable message to all of our listeners. Also for me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to live up to it. I'm going to follow these words you're saying, Jonas. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you. It's uh, I'm sure they they work in a lot of different uh, situations. Definitely. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're coming closer to the end of our show, Jonas. But before that, I want to ask you, what's next for Jonas Dijkman? Well, the next few months, I am pretty busy with. Um, promoting uh, my book and the film and I'm holding a lot of speeches first in Germany, Austria and Switzerland. Um, one is um, of course public speeches where everyone can can go about adventure but also a lot of uh, business speeches about um, the mindset and, uh, and motivation behind it. And um, then I'm having some smaller adventures uh, mostly in, in Mexico actually. I'm having uh, one trip planned now in February to Baja California and another one in in autumn um, to Oaxaca, but uh, that is still top secret. And um, I'm also planning on a speaking tour in, in Mexico. And uh, once all of this is done, uh, it's time for my next big adventure in 2023. And I can only tell as much that this is at least as challenging as the triathlon around the world. And no wow. one has ever done it before, but um, it is top secret. I'm going to be quite looking forward to what you're going to do next it's something um no yeah. I, I won't i won't no, tell you any detail no it's, worries no worries it's something I, I don't think it no one has done it before so i don't think that that you will you will guess it all right i only have one request for you Jonas. please keep inspiring please keep inspiring people please keep inspiring us please keep challenging yourself all right. Uh, thanks so much. I'm still, I mean, I'm 34 now, so there's still time for, for a lot of uh, future adventures. A lot of time for sure. Yes. Now let's, let's keep doing it, Jonas. And thank you so much for being here with us today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Finally, after all the, the times we were trying to do it, finally, we managed to do it. I saw the finish line as, as we were saying, I saw the finish line. So um, it was a pleasure, Jonas. Thank you again for that. Yeah, thank you, and and, and my pleasure. Always uh, happy to to share some some stories, and especially about Mexico, of course. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, as I said before, all of our Mexican listeners will be so happy about this episode and listening to what you say about us, about them. Yeah, it's an amazing country. My, I'm, I'm German by, by passport, but, but Mexican at, at heart. There you go. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Jonas. It was a pleasure again. 
Uh, thanks, uh, same, yeah, and, and uh, let's keep in, in touch uh, for my next adventure. For sure we will, for sure we will. And to all of our listeners, see you next time. Into cold water.